Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. It's always amazing how quickly the NFL season goes by. And week six, starting up on Thursday night, the Giants perhaps playing for their season as they'll be hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. And one of my favorite parts of uh, football season, recapping and catching up onto the treads in the lead uh, with Clark Judge, Talk of Fame Network, uh, who joins us right now. How are you, Clark? I'm doing fine, Pete, uh, but that depends on how the Yankees do tonight. I'll feel better if they can win. Uh, okay. So, well, what do you, um, so you're a big Yankee fan, obviously. You holding out much hope tonight that you guys stay alive? Yeah, just as long as Angel Hernandez can do his job. <laughs> Let's hope oh, he's not was, the storyline. My goodness. Yeah. Well, that's the only guy who had a worse night than Aaron Boone last night was Angel Hernandez. That was unreal. I mean, five replays, what, three missed calls? It was unreal. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Three missed calls, not uh, not not your dream scenario. And now he's behind the plate, uh, of course, uh, tonight. But uh, as far as uh, the NFL goes, here I mentioned big game for the Giants this upcoming Thursday. They're one and four, but boy, uh, that division is in such bad shape right now. Is there a team that you expect to suddenly turn it on in that group? No, not from what I've seen. I'm going to expect the Eagles at some point to get it together. Uh, I know the running back situation is sort of chaotic at this point, but. That's a team that went the distance last year, and they've already lost as many games this season as they did all of last year. Carson Wentz getting back, I think, just getting sort of, uh, you know, the rust off. Uh, didn't play particularly well last weekend against the Vikings team that had gotten gouged the week before. But I still think that is the team to beat. That's not a revelation. They're going to be pushed, though, because they're not the ball club they were last year. I still think they're better than anyone else in that division. But you look around, you go, well, who's going to be the competition? And that's why you, you mentioned um, this is a huge game for the Giants. You know, they should have won that game last weekend. Forget all the drama about the Odell Beckham ESPN interview. They should have won that game. They came back on a pretty good team in a hostile environment. That's the good news. The bad news is they, they lost, and now you do have the fallout from the Beckham situation. But you've got a chance to climb back in this. Nobody is taken over that division. It doesn't look in the short term as if anyone is, so the door is open for them. Do you worry about the Giants, how that team as a whole will respond if they do lose yes. on Thursday and drop to 1-5? and five? Yeah, I sure do. Um, because some shots have been taken at Eli, I know he's handling it the right way, but he's the 37-year-old quarterback. He's not the same as he was you know, in 2011 when they won the Super Bowl. Um, and you, you just kind of wonder, are the, are the parts there? Um you know, I, I, I know what Beckham was saying. I know he's trying to get across. But, boy, I, I really disagreed with how it came across. You shouldn't take that public, and he did. Um, that said, they've tried to minimize the damage. Uh, they do need him. Uh, he does need to be – he and Barkley need to be the feature of that offense. Manny needs to get him the ball. and doesn't need to get him the ball 20 times a game. He's, as he you know, said, you know, other receivers are getting the ball 20 times a game. Well, this is a different offense. He's got uh, Saquon Barkley, and they've got Sterling Shepard. But clearly, Beckham needs to be a featured element. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, 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 just, I think if this thing – listen, you've got the Cowboys after this. You, those are two winnable games. These are two winnable games here. You've got a chance to climb, come climb back in. But the problem is, Pete, as you know, I've covered um, losing teams a lot in my career – and when things go bad and things go sour, interviews like the Beckham interview get magnified and they mm. cause divisions within locker rooms. The quickest way to put to rest is to win. And that's what we saw in the Giants in the past when Tom Coughlin was there. How about Beckham and, and some of what he said? Because a lot of what he said was true. It didn't necessarily need to be yeah. said publicly, as you, you, you hinted on. I feel like he's trying to take a, a leadership role with the team 
and is just clumsy about it. Is that giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, he said he feels like he's out-schemed. I mean, that's a shot at the head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he's asked the question about Eli Manning, it's very simple. Yeah, you know, he's the quarterback. It, it, I mean, even if you don't believe it, you got to say it publicly. Otherwise, you just provoke the kinds of questions that are coming out now. You have a problem with him, and what's the issue? Uh, when you're asked about the Giants, you prefer warmer weather, you like L.A., well, what's that all about? You just signed a big deal here. I mean, you're the highest paid receiver. So are you unhappy? What's going on here? And um, the bottom line, as I said, is this is the sort of stuff that does come out when teams aren't successful. I, and I, I think back, to, again, at Coughlin. You know, they were complaining all the time about – his uh, discipline, you know, and the fact that you had to be there five minutes early. If you're on time, you were late. That wasn't right. He was too tough. They start winning games, and suddenly those complaints disappear. We're talking again, Clark Judge, Talk of Fame Network. Check out his uh, judgments, talkoffamenetwork.com, every Monday. Uh, as far as the Jets, a uh, big win over the Broncos, and, and they're very inconsistent. We'll see how they bounce back uh, this upcoming Sunday. But uh, let me ask you this. Who's been the most impressive rookie quarterback in the league to you through uh, five weeks? Well, that's a good question. I mean, there's not much of a sample size with Baker Mayfield. I'd probably have to say him only because I've seen him three games. You know, everyone else has two part of one, two others. Um, I, I like the way he responded last week. That's a tough defense to solve, and I'm talking about Baltimore. Mm-hmm. He hung in there. Uh, you take the good and the bad and the ugly with him, but he made plays when he had to. Uh, I love Darnold. I always have, and I've told you that. I thought he was the best quarterback coming out in the draft. I liked how he threw the ball deep last week. I liked his poise. I liked the fact that he can bounce back from mistakes. He is making them, but so do I mean, all rookie quarterbacks make them. And I think people are under this illusion that somehow these guys are going to turn into Peyton Manning or Tom Brady overnight. That's not the case. Rookie quarterbacks struggle. We know that watching Eli Manning his first year. Um, but I, I thought Darnold looked terrific last week, um, was on target with some of those deep throws. So I go uh, Mayfield. Darnold, I think Rosen's look has, you know, okay at times, but again, small sample size. And then, you know, Allen, I'm not really sure what to make of him um, because he doesn't have anyone around him. The offensive line is terrible. He's running for his life, and they decided the way we're going to beat teams now is with defense in the running game. So um, I, I go with Mayfield, uh, but a slim margin over Sam Darnold. How interesting are the Browns to you after uh, an impressive win against Baltimore? Yeah, I mean, they've doubled their number of victories from the past two years. Pretty interesting um, because you look at them and go, well, you know, finally Cleveland's got something to rally around, especially now the Indians are gone. But they have something to rally around. Fans are great there. They're loyal. They've been coming out. And, and now the dog pound's excited, and they should be. I mean, they've, they've got some playmakers, but they generally in recent years have been on defense as playmakers, and they've got some defensive uh, playmakers galore now. And But now you've got a quarterback who people are excited about. That's the first time that's happened. You know, probably since Tim Couch there. Um, you know, I know they had some some success with Derek Anderson one season, but boy, it's it's nice to see them. They're playing people tough, even if they lose. You know, they could be five and zero. I mean, if they had a kicker, they should, they could be five and zero. But they're playing everyone tough. They're competitive. I don't think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're anything more than a five hundred team at best. But they're competitive. I said before the season, I thought five or six wins. I'm still sort of there, but I like what they're doing. They're taking people to overtime, and they're very tough out. Changing the culture, too, uh, whereas yeah, you know, they expected to lose, it felt like, uh, a lot of those games in the past, and that's starting to change. Um, how about what's going on in Oakland? Uh, what, what are the early returns on, on John Gruden's monster contract as the head coach there? Yeah, not good. I don't need to tell you that. You've seen that team. Um, you know, there are questions about how Derek Carr would get along with him. 
and those questions seemed to be put to rest when he played, um, you know, a week ago and put up 400 and some yards um, against the Browns and against a pretty good defense. And I think he threw four touchdowns that game. We said, oh, okay, there it is. Well, no, there it isn't because Derek Carr is not the quarterback he was in 2016. That's when Jack Del Rio was there. And John Gruden's supposed to be this quarterback whisperer, this guy who uh, can turn everyone on. He'll turn him into Rich Gannon. Well, John Gruden's been out of the game for a long time. And I know he was in the booth, so he was certainly around the game, but he wasn't in it. And a lot has changed. And, um, you know, when you're off the sidelines for that period of time, I've seen in the past, you know, you go back to Vermeil, you go back to Gibbs, Joe Gibbs especially. Um, it's not the same. Joe Gibbs came back in his four years. He did go to the playoffs two two times, but he didn't win a playoff game. And his combined record was 30 and 34. This is a Hall of Fame coach who won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, none of whom is in the Hall of Fame and who I consider one of the greatest coaches of all time. It's just different when you're out that period of time. And so um, I look at Gruden and, you know, his last four years in Tampa, he had a losing record there. He didn't he didn't win a playoff game either. So. I don't know what the allure was. Was I think they were trying to reach back for that John Gruden of 2001, 2000. It's not there. And, and he does have some players, and he does have a quarterback who needs help, but he looks worse than ever now, and that team looks worse than ever. And, again, don't get me started on the Khalil Mack trade. Hmm. I will never, ever understand why you get rid of great players. And Gruden keeps talking about it. They need a pass rush. <laughs> they yeah, had the yeah. best guy in the league uh, for uh, and uh, traded him away to the Gruden, Chicago Bears. Pete, last week, you know, first and goal at the one, and he throws into the end. You got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. Mm. Here we go again. Now, didn't he lose? Uh, learn from the Super Bowl against the Patriots when Seattle was playing? Apparently not. But I heard him talk about, it. oh, that's a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Well, there's a lesson learned there. You've got four cracks. Give him the ball. He'll get the one yard. But, uh, yeah, the early returns have been horrible there. And I think people are shaking their head going, what? Well, we, the club paid $100 million for what? Mm-hmm. For this guy? Are you kidding me? And 10 years. Uh, so he's not going anywhere. So he'll have to get things together there as we uh, chat with Clark Judge. Uh, you have such a great knowledge of football history. And seeing Drew Brees last night set the passing yardage record as you start to consider his place within nfl history um you know where does he what kind of conversation does he start to put himself in now yeah i know i had this question asked earlier today i mean is he one of the elite of all time certainly in terms of numbers he is but sometimes i i feel and especially in some of those hall of fame meetings as if we're talking about the fantasy football hall of fame yeah these are you know, outrageous numbers he's put up, but it's a different game today. And I'm old enough to have seen Unitas when he played um, and some of the uh, other quarterbacks like Namath and and Bradshaw and those guys, but Unitas especially. And I'd never seen, still haven't seen anyone as great in my mind as John Unitas. He didn't put up the numbers Mm -hmm. that a Brady or Manning or a Breeze has, but for my money, if I were to take one in my lifetime, he'd be the first guy off the boards. But um, I look at him and think um, the first thing we do in that room is measure coaches and quarterbacks, rightly or wrongly, but we measure them by rings and or Super Bowl appearances. Now, obviously, there are exceptions. Dan Fouts, for instance, never got to a Super Bowl, but he was a different quarterback in his time because he was putting up numbers that nobody else was uh, with Eric Coriel. Warren Moon, different conversation, didn't get to the Super Bowl, but um, and Marino got there once. But you look at Drew Brees, he's gotten there once, too, and he won it. Aaron Rodgers gotten there once, too, and he's won it. But would you put him in the same conversation with Peyton Manning? I'm talking about Drew Brees, and I, I wouldn't. Would you put him in the same conversation with Tom Brady? No, of course not. So now where does he go? He's got these uh, outrageous numbers, but it's like they're aggregates. Uh, ag- uh, there's an aggregation going on. He, he's compiled a lot of numbers because of durability. He's stuck around for a long time. That's to his benefit. He's a great quarterback. But is he my top five? And the answer is no, he isn't. Is he in my top ten? 
I'd have to think about it. I don't know about it, but um, I know he's not in my top five. But I guess you have to judge him against the era, right? As you talked about, yeah. Unitas. Yeah. I mean, you can't look at these two and, and at all really compare them with how different the game is. But if you look at, say, Brady and Manning, they're on their own level. Mm-hmm. Is it like Breeze, Rogers, Roethlisberger, yeah. that next step right now? Yes, yes, absolutely. You, you hit the three guys, absolutely. And I think most people say Rogers. Breeze, Roethlisberger. I don't know. I'm a big Roethlisberger fan. He's won twice as many games as he's lost. He's been to three Super Bowls. Uh, I know he had some uh, probably better players around him, certainly better defense. Um, Aaron Rodgers is a sensational quarterback who makes big plays outside the pocket, like Ben Roethlisberger years ago, unlike Drew Breeze. But um, you'll run for first downs, make these, these hallmark end-of-the-game passes, um, these heroics that we can't forget. He's, he's such a charismatic guy, but he gets hurt a lot. And, and durability, to me, is a, is a big deal. He, he gets hurt a lot. Breeze doesn't. So that puts Breeze and Rodgers right there. Um, those are three you talked about. I had people ask me about Philip Rivers. I covered Philip. He's, he's my, maybe my favorite quarterback in recent years to be around. I love watching him. I wish he would be in a Super Bowl. I think he needs to get there to be in that Hall of Fame conversation. Again, people say, look at his numbers. Well, you're going to say that with everyone now. Look at their numbers. They're so far different. But I would ask you in terms of when I was talking about top five, would you take Breeze over Joe Montana? And I'd say the answer is no. They're different eras. Mm-hmm. I'd say you'd probably say no. Would you take him over Dan Marino and different eras? I think you'd probably say no. How about John Elway? Different eras. And I think you'd probably say no. Now he's starting to push himself down the board. So, so I said you've got to look at probably the second tier. And, and quickly, I, I'm just thinking a Giants fan would be thinking, well, Eli Manning's name hasn't come up. But he, he's mm-hmm. that next row rung below, even with the Super Bowls, no? He is because of the two Super Bowls, but what's he done since yeah. 2011? And it's been a very ordinary career. That's going to be a contentious conversation because mm-hmm. I know there are people in there who thinks he who think he should be a Hall of Famer. I've heard a couple of people say first bout Hall of Famer. I'm not in that group. I, I like watching the Giants. I thought what he did in those two games was astonishing. What they did in those two games was astonishing. However, I look at the whole picture, so it's not so astonishing what's happened since then. There's been some real mediocre play. And again, if you look at the big picture, I think you've got to question whether he's Hall of Fame worthy because, again, if you take Eli Manning among his contemporaries, we've just talked about him here. Is he better than Breeze? No. Is he better than Roethlisberger? No. Is he better than Rodgers? No. We start to work our way down the list. Brady, Manny. Well, you know, Hall of Fame is supposed to be for the very, very special. Well, is he one of the two or three of his time? Or are we looking at one of the seven or eight of his time? He had two fabulous runs. But to me, it's got to be more than that. Clark Judge, you always bring it. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Pete. All right. Good luck uh, to your Yankees tonight. And uh, Clark Judge giving us uh, a shout here. Again, check out his work, talkoffamenetwork.com. So great when it comes to NFL Hall of Fame discussions. And, you know, obviously uh, one of our favorites to, to catch up on what's happening in the NFL. So we can dive into some of that when we come back. 800-321-0710. The number. Is he underrating Eli Manning? I think he's got Eli Pegg just right. And it's not. A, a slam dunk uh, for Eli. You start thinking Hall of Fame, assuming that you know, he's put up most of the numbers that he's going to uh, at this point in his career. Uh, so we'll come back with that. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Yeah, I just had a chance to chat with Clark Judge, Talk of Fame Network, who is uh, tremendous as far as 
um, you know, the Hall of Fame and, and the NFL is concerned. And with Drew Brees having the, the record, the milestone reached last night, most yards thrown in an NFL career, just one of those opportunities to kind of take stock. And listen, as far as Eli goes, Eli Manning's going to end up being a Hall of Famer. He's got the two rings, uh, but what is going to make the conversation so interesting around him is where he ranks among the quarterbacks of his generation. And at the end of the day, you're going to see Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, these quarterbacks viewed ahead of Eli, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you know, Matt Ryan could end up being on that list. I know he's a couple of years younger than uh, than Eli, but that could happen. Uh, Philip Rivers doesn't have the titles, uh, but as far as the the numbers, that could be a factor. And, and something to keep in mind with that is while Eli Manning at 37 years old appears to be on his last legs. I would be surprised if Eli Manning was the Giants quarterback next year. And if he's not going to play for the Giants, I don't think you expect him to hang around the league or find another job or be a backup somewhere else. Uh, If he doesn't somehow turn it around a big way over the course of this season, this could very well be the end for Eli. And consider those other quarterbacks that we talk about Aaron Rodgers is years younger. We'll throw him out for this conversation. But that same draft class as Eli, Ben Roethlisberger, and Phillip Rivers, Roethlisberger doesn't appear to be near the end. He talked about retirement this offseason, but he's still playing good football for the Pittsburgh Steelers and is more than capable of continuing his career. Drew Brees... uh, he seems like he could play for a while. And he's talked in the past about playing it into his mid-40s, but look at Breeze at 39 versus Eli at 37. Breeze is still at the top of his game. And they've made it a little easier on him in New Orleans with the running game they've been able to put together and the short passing game that plays off of that. But Breeze, he doesn't look like a guy who is coming up on the end. And he looks like he's on that Tom Brady plan where he's going to be able to go for a long time. And that you know, could end up being the difference. You know, How long does Phillip Rivers play? And do these guys start to rack up some numbers, even if there aren't Super Bowl rings that follow as well, but have that longevity to go along with what they've accomplished over the course of their careers, uh, it's going to make it even tougher for Eli because you know he's the worst of the group that we talk about in terms of current performance. So you know that's all going to factor in. You know Eli used to be able to argue Drew Brees, Eli Manning. There's no argument anymore. You used to be able to argue Eli Manning gets Ben Roethlisberger. I don't think there's an argument there. So. Again, Eli will get in. The two Super Bowls will make sure of that. But when you start ranking him against his peers and the other quarterbacks of his generation, uh, he doesn't show all that well. And, you know, finds himself behind a, a lot of terrific quarterbacks, a lot of great quarterbacks in the league. You can't put them all in. And, and you get a, a sense of, you know, how it might be a, a bit of a process. And certainly, you know, the end of your career and, you know, trying to have those last runs at a championship, adding some wins to your total, adding some passing yards, touchdowns, all those things. Eli's not doing it the same way that these other guys are as, you know, they continue to play at 
very high levels late in their career, and Eli isn't. Uh, 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710, the number. Uh, as far as the Mets go in the middle of this general manager hunt, we've had a chance over the last couple of days to, to catch up with some of their former GMs. Uh, tonight, Jim Duquette. Last night, Steve Phillips. If you missed him, you can check him out uh, in, in their entirety on our website, 710WOR.com slash sports. Uh, but we asked, uh, I asked Steve Phillips last night about you know, who will be ultimately calling the shots uh, within that organization once the new GM comes in? I think Jeff is probably more the guy that will be breaking down the everyday responsibilities of the general manager and what his expectations are. So, you know, Jeff will be more involved in the day-to-day versus uh, Fred Wilpon, who might have some say over the philosophy and what direction they go in that way, but you know, isn't as involved in the day-to-day any longer. But I thought what was interesting with, with Steve Phillips was uh, the issue of the, the chain of command with the Mets. Everybody coming in is going to want to define as to who's there and what everybody's role is. I mean, I think that's going to be critical for anybody coming in so that they understand you know, the, the sort of framework of, of who they're working with and what the, the reporting chain of command is. Now, I'm, I'm a, more of a big chain of command sort of a guy. I want there to be clearly defined job descriptions and roles for people. Uh, I don't want them to overlap. I don't want people to have authority uh, without responsibility. Uh, I need to know that as a general manager that everybody in the baseball department reports to me uh, and that, uh, you know, that my relationship with ownership is the one that channels everything. And, and that's important. And you could picture, right, the diagram in your head where it's ownership at a bubble at the top. And then, you know, the president of baseball operations or the GM below him with a straight line between. And then all of those other people, uh, you know, feeding in uh, to that general manager. And, and that's the way that the uh, power structure works. But with the Mets, it's not really the way it's set up for whoever the new GM th- that comes in, unless they are able to clean house. But you have, you know, Terry Collins uh, with the ear of Fred Wilpon. You have Omar Minaya involved, and J.P. Ricciardi, and John Ricco, and uh, a number of different people in that mix. And you have to get everybody pulling in the right direction and, and following one leader. And that's not always easy to do when you have you know, other smart people uh, that are part of the operation. But are you going to see things the same way and have a, a joint philosophy that works? Now, it doesn't mean that's going to be kumbaya and everyone's got to agree on everything, but you don't want somebody who's not the baseball person in power talking to ownership and, and creating factions and divisions, and, and that's where things get messy. Uh, so, yeah, a chain of command, uh, it is, it's an important part of what the Mets have to show, I think, these candidates that they have in place. And it's one of the reasons that you see the Ben Charringtons and uh, some of the other hot names that have come up. Uh, stay out of the Mets search, at least to this point. And, and then I asked Jim Duquette, um, you know, about this search as well. And, and Duke shared what he thinks a, a younger GM candidate would need. A GM might be, you know, an inexperienced first time GM with a experienced, you know, baseball executive above him as the president. If that was the case, I'd be, I'd be certainly in favor of that because I, I don't think, even though they have a bunch of uh, executives there, I don't think they have the depth that they should. 
uh, in terms of uh, developing people within their front office to become, let's say, general manager candidates. I, you don't ever see executives. Uh, unfortunately, even John Ricco doesn't get calls from other teams to be interviewing and in, you know GM positions there. And that, that's, a, to me, a, a knock against the organization in general. Yeah, you want to have just like you want to have a strong farm system, and you know it's fine. You can have depth within your system, trade away some prospects, things like that. You want to, you know, be developing your uh, coaching trees and, and things like that. And it's just proof. You know, it doesn't help your team that these guys end up going elsewhere, but it's proof that you are developing talent, that you're ahead of the curve, and that other organizations are trying to be like you. And you know, with uh, Duke's point. You can see that hasn't really been the case uh, for a while going back uh, with, uh, you know, other teams poaching, you know, Mets front office brains. Uh, but again, 800-321-0710, the number. We'll hit uh, some oddities in the sports world with producer Mark when we come back. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. C.org. 710 WOR. You're in the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Right, it's Grab Mets call 800-321-0710. Robert in Queens is there. What's on your mind, Robert? Yeah, hi, Pete. Uh, I do want to talk about the Met GM search, but first I do want to thank you and Sal for the greatest, best sports show in New York, and I just hope it doesn't end. And uh, everyone should write to WOR if that's the case because your show is fantastic. So, well, appreciate that, Robert. Uh, regarding the search, uh, I have to be honest with you, I'm not very optimistic because I think the Mets do have the GM already. Unfortunately, his name is Jeff Wilpon. And uh, as you've said, uh, you know, even Jim Duquette said it, that a top GM I don't think is going to want to be there, and, and it's just a farce. That's what and we've a, seen. Yeah, and a lot of top people already took their names out. And... Uh, I'm just not optimistic. That's my point. Yeah, I I understand that. What I would hope is that this enables ownership to just look in the mirror at at how they're running their franchise and and how there are some things that have to be different in in terms of how they're doing it. If it's going to be successful for the long term and the fact that for a New York market team that – has some talent. It's not a perfect situation by any means, but this is a team that you can win with in the short term. Uh, the fact that the top GMs aren't eager to make this kind of jump, you know, guys who grew up Mets fans, there's a lot of that around baseball. And, uh, you know, that they're not jumping at this job is, is problematic. And, you know, you look at the Dodgers and what they were able to poach Andrew Friedman from Tampa. Even the Angels grabbed Billy Epler from uh, the Yankees organization. He was a high-ranking executive there for a long time. Um, Theo Epstein to Chicago. In the big markets, this is a big area where you can take someone who has proven they know what they're doing in the game and make them your guy and put the organization in a strong position going forward. And the Mets, they have candidates, but they're not that level. Uh, and yeah, that's what it should be. Uh, by the way, Mike Puma, the Post, uh, reporting that Hall of Fame manager Tony Larusa recently contacted a person in the Mets general manager search to recommend Gary LaRock for the job. And we heard uh, Steve Phillips uh, singing the praises of LaRock, who's his scouting director, uh, when Steve Phillips was the GM of the Mets. And you know, LaRock, uh, he's in his sixties. 
Uh, and he could, I think, be part of the solution. But if he is, you know, the big move and, and he's going to, you know, have his hand in everything with the organization, I, I don't think that's necessarily what you're looking for here. And, and remember, too, at LaRusa and, and LaRock probably worked together in St. Louis, but, um, you know, LaRusa did not have a whole lot of success in Arizona. And it seems like the Mets are, are thinking about going that way and backing off the analytics and going old school. And it did not work with uh, Dave Stewart, Tony LaRusa in Arizona. I don't think there's any reason to be going backwards uh, in that way if you're the Mets. Uh, but uh, time now for, for some oddities, as we like to do in the 8 o'clock hour uh, every night here in the Sports Zone. So we mix it up with producer Ray and producer Mark. we got Mark in today. What's up, Mark? Hi, Pete. How are you? Good. I have a Subway story to start with you. Uh, sandwiches? I no. like sandwiches. Subway like the... Dirty train that you ride oh. to and from home. Usually. Okay, that's right. You're not Ray, so it's not going to be food all yeah, the way Yeah, it's not through. always food. I mean, I do enjoy food. <laughs> if you look at me, you, you would know that. But I'm talking about the dirty trains. Uh, Luke Voigt, mm-hmm. a first baseman for the Yankees, actually takes the train to the Bronx before every game. So he wrote something for the Players' Tribune the other day before Game 3, talking about a recent experience he had on the subway. So he just makes it, you know, that's feeling when you just make it and the train's about to pull in. And these two guys don't make it in time. They start pounding, yelling for the conductor to open it. And then they realize, they look inside and say, Void! And realize that he's in there. Eventually, this never happens. The conductor actually opened the door again and doesn't leave these people stranding. They come in, so Void's like, oh, these guys are going to mob me, like they're going to be annoying. No. They sit down next to him and just want to talk baseball. So for the whole ride... They're just sitting and talking about baseball, wanting to pick his brain. They know their stats and everything, and he loves this and says it's his first real New York experience. Wow. So what I can't believe about this story, somebody recognized Luke Voigt? Yeah. Like months ago? I mean, if it happened yesterday or in the middle of this playoff series. It was fairly recent. He didn't give a date, but it was recent. (laughs) He joined the team, what, two months ago, and he's getting recognized on the subway? Yeah, apparently. I mean, Yankee Uh. fans and Met fans, baseball fans in New York are hardcore. They're pretty good. Uh, I don't know. I, I saw Cespedes Barbecue tweeted a picture of Terry Collins on the train and that nobody bothered him the whole time. Usually you don't get bothered on the subway, though. Like, I remember, I know, I mean, I would say Henrik Lundqvist is a much bigger star than Luke Voigt. Mm-hmm. There was a picture of him just sitting on the subway one day, rush hour, nobody yeah. bothering him, nobody realizing that it was him. Like, in New York, you don't get bothered, so I'm surprised by the story. Actually. It's actually the anti New York story. Yeah. <laughs> it must have been two non New Yorkers, like two Yankee, Connecticut Yankee fans. Maybe. That's possible. Another uh, oddity for you, uh, you know Antonio Brown, the the Steelers are having a lot of weird things happen to them, obviously Mm -hmm. Le'Veon Bell not reporting all this stuff. Well, Antonio Brown now has a lawsuit against him for throwing furniture off his balcony, and he lives on the 14th floor, it doesn't say where, this TMZ story, but apparently he almost killed a toddler from, he went on an angry rage and started throwing uh, two large vases, a heavy ottoman, and some other pieces of furniture. He just threw them off the balcony, uh, 14 floors up, almost killing a toddler. Jeez. And now he has a lawsuit pending against him. Yeah, I read that headline, and I said, well, maybe the third floor or something like that, but 14th no, 14, floor, 14. and you're flipping things off. That ain't good. Like, how angry do you have to get about something that you're supposed to start, start throwing furniture? That That is very Out low on the list. I'm also not capable of picking up furniture, so yeah. that kind of limits my temper. I mean, I guess a temper. vase. <laughs> it says very large vases, though. Oh, okay. And a heavy ottoman. So I guess this is NFL players throwing stuff. This is why we can't have nice things. Exactly. He, I guess he didn't like his nice things. He had nice things. He didn't like them very much. So uh, I'm just glad the toddler didn't get hurt. 
I think that's the, the yeah. How close the was the toddler? Apparently, we... it was a couple of feet. Yeah, a couple. That's of feet. That's what the parents are saying. Wow. So, I, I mean, it's just dumb. Especially if your balcony leads to like I think it was a pool deck or something of that nature, or at least an area where people are outdoors. Don't throw things outside a 14-story window. Just don't throw period. things out your window. Period. <laughs> how about that? Uh, all right. Outside of sports, uh, have you ever played the lottery, Pete? Is that something you do? Yeah, often? yeah. In the big nights, I'll yeah. get in there. So, uh, what does your wallet look like? Is there a lot of crap in it? Yeah. Okay. So you should clean out your wallet because apparently this guy in Connecticut had a million dollar lottery ticket in his wallet for months, and it was twenty three days until it was about to expire. Cleans out his wallet. He had a Costanza like wallet. All of a sudden. He finds this ticket and he's a million dollars richer. Dang! Imagine what Costanza had in there. Oh my god! He, he must have had, had ten tickets. winning lottery yeah. tickets. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I, if I had a lottery ticket, I'm checking it immediately because I want to know if you know I can, you know, stop working, go go on a nice vacation, all that stuff, pay off stuff. What would you really do? Those the are all such boring things. You'd you'd really stop working. Uh, I don't know if I would stop working immediately because I need something to do. Producer Ray is like, thumbs up, I'm out of here. Yeah, uh, I'm Ray's blowing gone. out this taco stand so I mean, fast. Just hightailing maybe out. Maybe I'd want better hours because I currently work nights. Mm. Might, if I'm winning the lottery, I can choose. I can be a little choosy be with a little the job. Picky. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to buy a house. You know, I'm a millennial. I've got to pay off loans. Those are also boring. Maybe what I'd go on a vacation. I think the first thing I'd do is go on a vacation. Okay. Like I'd plan a cruise, something like that. Just blow a little bit. But you got to be smart. A million dollars isn't what it was 25 years ago. Yeah, but let's say you're winning one of the big ones, like $100 million. $100 million, yeah. I mean, that's still, think about it. I'm 25 years old. You want to live comfortably. $100 million is really what? 60 after taxes? You'll be fine. I'll be fine, but, you know, you gotta, you can't just blow it all on. You see how quickly you're like, ah, that's not that much money. That won't change my life that much. Like, like how much quickly you start thinking like a rich person, like, ah, that's not enough money. I mean, it's imaginary no, money is it's it a uh, hundred million. You know, I might still have to work if that's a good, come on. It taxes is kill you. More than enough money than I'll ever need in my life. But the point is, you can't just go spend $10 million like it's nothing. No, you can. You can, but like, <laughs> you got to think of your future. You got another 30 left over. You'd be all right. Well, I just don't know what I would do. Like, it, you, you wouldn't have to work. So do you just stop working? You wouldn't be a good employee anymore because yeah. you'd be all like, I'm not working those hours like you're talking about. Yeah, you wouldn't want to employ a lottery winner because they're going to go in and out as they choose. It's like, what the heck do you do with your life? Like, it's fun to imagine. Yeah, I'll just lay on the beach all day. But like you need a purpose, you need something that gets exactly. you up in the morning. And what would that be? That would I, would I struggle have no with idea. that. I think. I mean, I think you'd figure it out. You you talk on the air about sports. You wouldn't want to stop doing that. Yeah, I'd just be really rich doing it. That would exactly. be fun. I buy a team. I can sure. fix the Mets. Look at that. You just got to win the really big one. You got to <laughs> win the billion app. dollar Powerball. You can start an app. Yeah, great job. <laughs> All things that would be yeah. possible. All right, uh, producer Mark, uh, getting it done tonight with the oddities. Thanks, Thank Pete. you, Mark. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR.